Those who desperately want to believe that President Kennedy was the victim of a conspiracy have my sympathy. I share their yearning. To employ what may seem an odd metaphor, there's an aesthetic principle here. If you put six million dead Jews on one side of a scale, and on the other side put the Nazi regime, the greatest gang of criminals ever to seize control of a modern state, you have a rough balance. Greatest crime, greatest criminals. But if you put the murdered president of the United States on one side of a scale, and that wretched waif Oswald on the other side, it doesn't balance. You want to add something weightier to Oswald. It would invest the president's death with meaning, endowing him with martyrdom. He would have died for something. A conspiracy would, of course, do the job nicely. Unfortunately, there's no evidence whatever that there was one. William Manchester, historian and author of Death of a President. Revisionist History, the podcast where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and today's episode is part two of what is going to be a multi-part series on conspiracy theories, and specifically the JFK assassination conspiracy theories. I had originally planned for this to be simply a two-part series and even said so in the opening episode. But I also hedged my bets a little bit and said that it might be more the way things were going. It's definitely going to be more. At least three parts, and probably four, because frankly, I had forgotten what a rabbit hole you can go down when you start looking at the various conspiracy theories related to the JFK assassination. I say forgotten, because this isn't my first time going down this rabbit hole. My grandmother was originally from Boston, and she actually worked on JFK's first congressional campaign in 1946, I believe it was, and therefore I had what I felt was a little bit of a personal connection to Kennedy, even though I was born three years after he died. Obviously there was no real connection But there was a fascination, and growing up just down the road from Dallas, there was an added fascination with the assassination. That fascination passed over time as I read more and more of the different conspiracy books and came more and more to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, and I left it alone for decades until now when I'm trying to help set the record straight on this podcast. I said in the previous episode, and we'll probably repeat it multiple times going forward, that I believe the proliferation of conspiracy theories springing from the Kennedy assassination has had an unbelievably detrimental effect on how we view history, how we study history, and how history is written in the last 50 years. I believe it was the ground zero all the conspiracy theories that have come since, from the idea that the moon landing was a hoax, 
to the idea that the government was involved in the 9-11 attacks. And the reason that it's going to take multiple episodes to discuss this, besides the fact that when you think about it, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of books about the assassination written, and therefore it couldn't possibly be discussed in just one or two episodes, is that there are so many layers of misinformation, misunderstanding, and just outright lies that have built up over the last five decades. And those layers have to be peeled back a little bit at a time to expose the truth. From a historian's standpoint, one of the hardest things in dealing with the assassination conspiracy theories is the vast number of them. And not just that you have to chase them all down and disprove each one. If a new book comes out this year on the assassination, which it undoubtedly will, more than one most likely, it will have extensive bibliographical notes, extensive endnotes, footnotes. It will look very scholarly. But if you look deep into those endnotes and footnotes, what you'll find is most of the references are to other conspiracy theory books. It looks scholarly and professional enough. But when you peel back the layers, it's a lie based on another lie, based on an earlier lie. And these books and theories go back to the very beginning. The very first article to suggest that Oswald didn't act alone was written by Mark Lane in December of 1963. That's less than a month after the assassination. The first full-length book alleging a conspiracy was published by Thomas Buchanan in May of 1964, four months before the Warren Commission report was released. But before we start debunking some of the major conspiracy theories, and just to show you that I'm not a sour, angry old man, I want to give you three of the most outlandish claims that I found regarding the assassination. An untold number of people have come forward over the years claiming to be the second, third, or fourth gunman. But there are three people that have been accused of being either involved or an actual gunman that just go beyond crazy. The first is Joe DiMaggio. Yes, Yankees fans, even Jolton Joe himself has been blamed. Conspiracy theorists claim that it was revenge for the role he believed the Kennedy brothers played in the death of his ex-wife, Marilyn Monroe. You just can't make this stuff up. The second is one that everyone should remember, although he said so many more outlandish things since that you've probably forgotten it. But during the 2016 primaries, Donald Trump claimed that Senator Ted Cruz's father was involved in the assassination. Trump claimed that Cruz's dad, Rafael, is in a photo of Oswald taken in New Orleans in August of 1963. This is how far down the rabbit hole you can go with this. But believe it or not, that's not the craziest accusation. The title of most outlandish claim has to go to Bonner Menninger's 1992 book, Fatal Error. In that book, he claims that George Hickey, who was a Secret Service agent 
riding in the car behind Kennedy actually killed the president. Really? That's what he that's what he claims. He says that Hickey fired his weapon accidentally after Oswald's first two shots and that it was Hickey's shot that hit President Kennedy in the head. And this book got published and it sold and people read it. God help us. When we come back, we'll start looking at some people and groups who actually could have been involved. I don't believe they were, and I'll show why, but at least they're not as outlandish as Cruz's father or Joe DiMaggio. We'll be right back. So as we've just seen, people have put forth some pretty crazy ideas as to who was involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. And I think there's a reason for that. As each theory gets holes punched in it, as they all do, people have to come up with a new one. Because psychologically, it seems we're so invested as a nation in the idea that it was a conspiracy that as one theory gets debunked, another one or another 10 spring up around them, each more outlandish than the first. But there are some that aren't outlandish, at least on the surface. Of all the various conspirators put forward by the conspiracy theorist, Fidel Castro and the Cuban government clearly had the greatest motive, again at least on the surface, for killing the president. As has been well documented, we had already attempted one invasion of Cuba at the Bay of Pigs, though this plan was actually conceived under the Eisenhower administration, and the CIA, under a plan codenamed Operation Mongoose, had been training Cuban exiles to fight the communist government and actively hatching plans to kill Castro, including the almost comical scheme of using an exploding cigar. You don't normally think of slapstick comedy when you mention the CIA, but there it is. Only a year before the assassination, the United States had forced the removal of Soviet nuclear weapons from Cuba, removing a brief sense of protection that Fidel had felt. So why is it so crazy to think that Fidel, and especially Che Guevara, wouldn't be part of the plan to kill President Kennedy? There are actually two good reasons, evidence and common sense. As for the evidence of Fidel's involvement, there is none, literally none. Yes, Oswald visited the Cuban embassy in Mexico City in September of 1963, trying to get a visa to travel there, but he was denied. He had an organization in New Orleans called Fair Play for Cuba, of which he was the only member. That's it. That's the only connection to Cuba. From the common sense standpoint, something sorely lacking in any conspiracy theory, while Fidel had ample reason to want Kennedy dead, he had far more reasons not to try it himself or to even allow his government to be even suspected. 
For those who only know Fidel as an old man in fatigues, understand this. The man was one of the shrewdest politicians of the 20th century. By the end of the century, his was the only communist regime still standing outside of Asia, and second in longevity only to China. He knew the U.S. wanted to topple him, and that they had tried multiple times. He also knew, beyond any doubt, that if he tried to kill Kennedy, even the Soviets would not attempt to stop the wrath the U.S. would rain down on him. He would lose his hard-won position as dictator of his homeland, and almost certainly his life. Che might have been okay with such an outcome, at least in the name of the revolution, but not Fidel. Fidel was pragmatic. Besides, killing Kennedy, only to have the even more hawkish Texan LBJ take his place, was a fool's errand. And for all his flaws, and they were many, Fidel was no fool. Now, I don't think for a minute that Castro shed a single tear over the death of the president. But I also know that he wasn't involved in it. And there's not a single shred of evidence to say otherwise. The next group that's a favorite of conspiracy theorists actually ties into Fidel, at least in a small way. And it's the military-industrial complex. Numerous conspiracy theorists have put forth the idea that it was the military that ultimately killed JFK because they saw him as weak on communism and more importantly, and this is where the defense contractors also come into play, that he was going to withdraw American troops from Vietnam. I say that this theory ties back to Fidel because of the Bay of Pigs invasion. It's certainly true that many in the military were not happy that he did not send air cover to support the invasion or send in more troops when the invasion stalled. But it's by no means evidence that they would want him removed from power or that he was soft on communism. In my opinion, any doubts about his softness were dispelled with the blockade that he instituted against Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. He stood toe-to-toe with the Soviets, and the Soviets blinked. And the military would have respected that. He was, and this is not necessarily to his credit, very quick to use military power to topple regimes that we didn't like. Just ask the South Vietnamese and those in the Dominican Republic. As for whether he would have pulled out of Vietnam, that's a question that's been debated for the last 50 years. And at various times during his presidency, he gave conflicting views on it. But I ultimately don't think he would have for a reason that many of us don't understand today. It's been more than 30 years since we elected a president who fought in a war. That was George H.W. Bush in 1988. John F. Kennedy fought in World War II, as did almost all of the military men around him at that time. And they saw the world and the military 
differently than we do now. We see it differently post-Vietnam. We see it differently post-Cold War. They saw it pretty much the same way, all of them, Republican, Democrat, anyone who had been in World War II saw war, saw the military, and saw communism and the threat of communism pretty much the same way. Now they had varying degrees to which they were willing to go to fight it. But in a lot of ways, at least pre-1968, they were pretty much on the same page. There are people that say if Nixon had been president in 1963, he would have just fired nukes into Cuba. But I don't believe that's true. It is true that the number of troops on the ground in Vietnam increased after Kennedy's death. But if you look at 1963 versus 1964, which was Lyndon Johnson's first full year as president, you don't see a huge change. At the end of 1963, there were 15,894 American troops in Vietnam. At the end of 1964, there were 23,310. Now, as the years went on, that number ballooned exponentially, at least partly due to events on the ground. Would Kennedy have done things the same way Johnson did? Probably not. But did the military have any reason to believe that he would have just pulled out and left South Vietnam to fall to the communists? Not at all. And definitely not enough to cause them to stage a coup. And with the best special operations soldiers and snipers in the world at their disposal, I highly doubt they would have used someone like Lee Harvey Oswald. What I believe, and it's kind of interesting given this podcast, is that the belief that Kennedy would have pulled out of Vietnam is a case of revisionist history. And it's a case of revisionist history based on his brother. By 1968, when Robert Kennedy was running for president, he had become staunchly anti-war. And after his own assassination, I believe that people projected his anti-war views of 1968, which certainly weren't present in 1963, back onto his brother. That narrative took hold, and as the combat deaths mounted, and the feeling against the war increased, it was another myth of JFK that was created. The idea that if he had just lived, all those American soldiers wouldn't have died. Maybe it's true. We'll never know for sure. But I do know that there is no evidence that the military killed him in order to prevent us from pulling out of Vietnam. By the late 1960s, it was a popular conspiracy theory because people hated everything about the military. The final group we're going to look at in today's episode is the Mafia, who, interestingly enough, had some small ties to the efforts to kill Castro. But that's a whole other story. The interesting thing about the Mafia being put forth as a likely culprit is that it's not because of JFK 
but because of his brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy. Now, since his time as lead counsel for the McClellan Committee investigating the Teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa, Robert Kennedy had been gunning for the mob, and this only increased when he became Attorney General after his brother became President. In fact, prosecutions of organized crime members rose 800% after he became Attorney General. Now, to be fair, there had been almost none prior to that, so any would have caused a fairly large jump in percentage. So the theory goes that by killing the President, they would neutralize his brother. A common quote attributed at various times to either Carlos Marcelo or Santo Traficante was that if you want to kill a dog, you cut off the head, not the tail. That's a colorful quote, but neither of them ever said it. Nor is there any evidence on thousands of hours of FBI wiretaps of various mob headquarters that were continuously in place between 1959 and 1965 without the mob's knowledge that there was any mob involvement at all. This is because they weren't involved for several reasons. First, and this is a big one that a lot of people might not understand today, the Italian mob simply did not kill high-ranking officials, judges, prosecutors, even police officers. It was simply bad for business and brought heat they did not need. It was easier to simply pay off whoever they could and go on with life. This is no longer the case, sadly, especially with Colombian and Russian gangs that'll blow up an entire airplane just to kill one person. But it was still true in 1963. Second, and equally important, there's no connection between Oswald and any mob figure. The mob would never have used someone like Oswald in the first place. Not least of which, because he wasn't one of them. And seriously, when have you ever heard of the Mafia using a sniper? They're not soldiers, no matter what they might think of themselves. They're thugs. They walk up and shoot you point blank in the face. Or, in extreme cases, blow up your car. Finesse is not in their vocabulary. Ironically, they do it exactly the way Jack Ruby did when he killed Oswald which is part of the reason that people think that that was a mob hit. It wasn't, but we'll discuss that in a later episode. Finally, if you do as I said earlier, and peel back the layers, look at the sources, you'll find that everyone claiming to have heard a high-ranking mobster discuss killing Kennedy was someone that they would have never confided in. Not in a million years. Omerta, the Code of Silence, still existed in 1963, so much more than it does today. These men were known for keeping quiet, for doing long prison stretches, for keeping quiet. And yet, the conspiracy theorists would have us believe they would blab to anyone on the street about their plan to kill President Kennedy. It just isn't logical. And while there's no evidence that they were involved, 
there actually is evidence that they weren't. All those FBI tapes showed that they discussed the assassination extensively and with great interest after it happened, but never in a way that even hinted that it was a mob hit. It's interesting to note the mob as culprit didn't really take off until the 1970s, after the Godfather films cemented the mafia in our collective consciousness as an almost all-powerful shadow government capable of killing a president and getting away with it. One last thing to note, and it's often glossed over because it doesn't fit the conspiracy narrative, is that while he did prosecute many in organized crime, after 1961, Robert Kennedy's main focus and what occupied most of his time wasn't mobsters. It was the civil rights movement. The last thing the mob would have done was give him any reason to turn his attention back on them. But the mafia was a convenient bogeyman, both then and now. Like Castro, they weren't sad when JFK was killed. And also like Castro, they had no part in it. So that's a look at the three most common culprits put forward by conspiracy theorists. In our next episode, we'll tear down some of their other theories, as well as take a closer look at Lee Harvey Oswald himself. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad free. Thanks again.